The first reading is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 to 21. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we became the righteousness of God. The Gospel reading is from Luke chapter 15, verses 1 to 3 and 11 to 32. Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. 
Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Well, thank you very much for your warm welcome this morning. It's lovely to be with you and to have the opportunity to bring God's word to you. Why don't I, before I start, commit our time to the Lord. We thank you, Father, so much for the opportunity to hear you speak to us now from your word. And we pray that by your spirit, you would do so. That we would hear your voice and that you would change us. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I'll be speaking on the gospel reading from Luke 15, so you may like to have that open in front of you. It's on page 1049, if you'd like to follow along in the text. It's Mother's Day. Um, A mother received two messages on Mother's Day morning. One of them was a text message, which woke her up at 5 a.m. Hi, Mum. If you're looking for car, I borrowed it. Actually, I lost it. Probably won't see it again. Poker night got out of control. Ended up betting the car and losing it. Sorry about that. Anyway, I'm okay. Don't worry. Might see you Tuesday. Uh, The second message came at 8.30 a.m. in the form of a beautiful card accompanied by an impressive bouquet of flowers and the perfect breakfast in bed. Dearest mother... Please accept these humble tokens of my affection for you this mothering Sunday. You are the finest mother a child could wish for, affectionately yours. Well, which of these children would be more loved on Mother's Day? I suspect most parents would actually say, it doesn't really work like that. In my own family, as I said, our second child was born just six weeks ago. Apologies if you catch me yawning during my own talk. Um, My limited experience so far of being a parent tells me that the love of a parent for their children is not determined by how well or how badly their children behave. The love of a parent cannot be bought with good behavior and it cannot be lost with bad behavior. That's not to say that a child's behavior cannot cause a parent serious grief at times, but is is not that grief itself um, an indication of the love that's there? Jesus' point in his parable of the prodigal son is that the love that God has for his people 
is not the approval of a master for a servant based on their performance, but the love, the unconditional love of a parent for a child. The thing that struck me as I looked over this very familiar story is that both sons have the wrong idea about their relationship with their father. Both young men see themselves as servants rather than as sons. We learn from verses 1 to 3 that Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law here. They are disgusted that Jesus has welcomed tax collectors and sinners, people who were as despised in that society as, say, child abusers are despised in ours today. What the Pharisees need to grasp is that God relates to everyone who turns back to him as honored sons and daughters, not as servants. The Pharisees are represented in the story by the older brother. And Jesus deliberately chooses the most extreme example imaginable to get us to sympathize with the older brother's point of view. His younger brother demanded his inheritance early. That was just completely unheard of, an outrageous request, and it meant that the father had to carve up and sell off the family inheritance. Then he sold off his own share and turned his back on his family. He moved as far away as possible and spent the money that he had not only on partying, but on prostitutes, we're told, until the money ran out. The damage this does to the family is not only financial. Think of the loss of honor to the family name as a result of his son's this son's actions. This is not just the story of a lovable rogue. This is the worst behavior imaginable being portrayed for us. Having hit rock bottom, the younger son makes a calculation. He thinks, my boss here is cruel. I'd be better off as a servant to my father. And so he repents. And if you've ever wondered what repentance actually means, here is a very clear picture of it. As this disgraceful rebel came to his senses, Jesus says, and recognizing his unworthiness and admitting his total failure, got up and went back to his father. At this point, the older brother might think, okay, well, we'll have him back as a hireling. But the father had different plans. Seeing him from afar, filled with compassion for his rebellious son, he runs to him, embraces him, kisses him, and then showers him with privileges. There's a ring, a robe, and a lavish banquet to celebrate. This is not the welcome back of a lost servant. This is the welcome of a lost servant son. This is how God welcomes the worst of rebels when they turn back to him. Even people who've had their backs turned on God for years, even people who've done the most disgraceful things one could think of, 
We don't have to work our way back to God. God treats those who truly repent, not as servants on probation, but as fully honoured sons and daughters. But you see, it's not only the younger brother who thinks of himself as a servant rather than a son. The older brother makes the same mistake, but in a different way. And you can see that from the way he responds to the situation. His younger brother has done so much wrong, and yet it's like his father is rewarding this appalling behavior. So he's not only outraged at his brother, he's outraged at his father. It seems so unfair. And the result is that he stays away from this welcome party. His father reaches out to him. And what the son says next is telling. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. And and I never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. So the second son, like the first, doesn't understand what it is to be a son. He sees himself as slaving for his father. He expects a reward for his perfect obedience, as if that was, those were the terms of the relationship. And it, yet, yet it looks like the bad son is getting the reward that he deserves. Verse 31 shows us the father's gentle correction. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. If it's all about earning your way, then of course the older son is right to be outraged. But it's not about earning, it's about freely receiving because they are sons. My son is the father's correction. Everything I have is yours. Um, It's also significant that the self-righteous older brother is actually in the greater danger by the end of the story because he is opposed to his father at this point. He is outside of the family celebration because he's not thinking of himself as a son and he's not acting like a son and it's causing him to be separated from his father. So Jesus, from two opposite angles, wants to drive home the point that as we turn back to God, we're treated not as servants, but as sons and daughters. Well, how will knowing this truth make a difference for us in practice? I suspect that many of us already know very well that God rejoices to welcome sinners who turn back to him. And yet I know from my own heart how easy it is in practice to deny that. Isn't it easy when we're deeply ashamed of something that we've said or done to feel like we need to make it up to God, to earn his approval? If that's you at the moment, God is saying, don't try to make it up to me, just come back to me and you'll be fully welcomed as an honoured son or daughter. On the other hand, what if we've been faithfully serving God for years? 
But God hasn't given us, perhaps he hasn't given us that thing we've been praying for for such a long time. And then someone else, perhaps someone who seems less deserving, receives the very thing that we've been praying for. We can feel that God is not being fair, not giving us what we deserve. But are we not at that point thinking of ourselves as servants who have earned something? So let's ask for God's help that as we turn to him, we will know that we are welcomed unconditionally, not because we have earned it, but because God sees us as beloved sons and daughters.